it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 563 for September 15th, 2018. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, is our, our guest is Bart Bouchatz, back with Programming by Stealth, installment 62 of X. Hey, Bart. Hey, Allison. Well, I often start with how are you, but I'm going to do the complaining. This will be my <laughs> first recording in my new studio because my uh, my studio is now looks like a... Uh, a scene from Dexter. It's in com- my my bedroom and my studio are completely encased in plastic. Well, it's either Dexter or somewhere where they're building the replacement for the Hubble Space Telescope. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, it does look like a clean room. So Steve and I have been uh, moving out of our bedroom, moving into a separate bedroom, and I've moved my uh, my office into Kyle's bedroom, which actually is kind of nice having my own space. I might keep it here. We're going to see. Yeah, there's advantages, right? Because then, yeah. There's something to be said. We, myself and the better half, have matrimonial harmony because we have our own separate studies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I have my own room except when Steve wants to be in the bedroom and then it's not my own room. So it's sort of like half half and half. I, I'll be curious to see here if anybody thinks the acoustics are, are any different. The big problem is I don't have a mantle behind me. So oh. the live uh, Nosilicast can't show off my uh, my sausage grinder and the audience is quite quite concerned about that development. We have to buy you a shelf. Mm. The problem is there's a, a glass window right behind me. Eh, so we we're, we're working break that open. <laughs> we might have to hang it from the ceiling. I don't know. But uh, the but one requirement I had was that I have real Ethernet in this room before I would move ah. into it. So we finally paid an electrician to go in the attic and drop wires down. And uh, Steve and I both have officially have Ethernet in our dens now. Excellent. That, yeah. is, that is nice but to have. We should probably get stuck in. We should really, shouldn't we? Since I was saying I was hoping to finish up by midnight. Um, anyway, and I was and I was late because I forgot because I was working on moving my whole house around. So anyway, we should get started. We should. So um, to set the scene here for today, up until this point in our exploration of Bootstrap, we've been focused on the kinds of features you would use if you were building a website whose role in life was to communicate information at people. Right? They've been very much Web one point you know blog, news site, corporate website, personal homepage, those sort of things. But of course, the internet contains a whole other category of things, which we will sort of vaguely call web apps. And what they all have in common is they involve the user telling the website something, which Hmm. means they involve forms of some sort. We have completely ignored forms in our exploration of Bootstrap, and there's a really good reason for that. Bootstrap is fantastic for them, and it has so many features. I was so intimidated that I didn't know where to begin. <laughs> okay. I, it's too good. Uh, but eventually, I bit the bullet, and I think I found a path. So let's see how it goes. Um, but I've decided the intention here is not to be completist. The intention here is to do cool and useful stuff and get you to the point where you can RTFM if you want to go into anything in more depth. And I should probably just except the fact that I can't do everything in Bootstrap because it's huge, and that, that will probably make it go better. I guess so. Well, I do have to say, I, I read, the, read the fine manual a lot in doing our Good. homework. Even though you've given us uh, a lot of the structure, you've given us the, great, the explanation, when it comes down to typing the syntax, I am almost always at a loss. I, I spent, uh, I know, at least four hours on the homework where I didn't know. I was like, I don't know. Is that supposed to be a single quote or double quote or does it matter? Is there a dot? Is there not a dot? Is it a space and a dot? Is, you know, is it, is it where's that squirrely bracket go? You know, I spent a lot of time on that. And and, and I found that really depressing because I oh, feel no. like I've got 
Well, but I've got all the the knowledge. I understand what we're doing. I understand why, why we're doing. I understand the structure. I can describe it. I could write you a novel about it, and I can't do it. You know, it's, right? It's, but you're trying to do it without having the docs open, and that's that's. Well, no, I'm I, I'm having the docs open, Bart. Okay. I had a lot of docs open over four hours. Yeah, then it's just ten thousand hours. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a ten thousand hour problem. I did I did get there. Good. Well, that, I mean, that it, is that is why we do the challenges, right? And yeah. the, the the big secret to programmers is we don't learn stuff. We learn how to RTFM. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and, when and, I am doing Bootstrap, getbootstrap.com will be open in a browser window sitting next to The reason programmers need big screens is because they need their code and they need the docs, and they need both of them at the same time, always and forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I should be able to get there faster than I do. And I'm, I, luckily, Dorothy's there for me to complain to. And she says, there, there, dear one, you'll get there. You know? <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, it takes longer than you think to write code, always, no matter how good you get at it. And uh, the only way to get good at it is to do it. And the only way to do it is to struggle on. Yeah, yeah. I did not succeed at the homework. Uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I did not succeed okay. at the homework in the way that we talked about doing it at the end. I okay. was never able to get the uh, counting the dot length thing to help me. I did it a different way. Well, I would be curious then. I'm um, very curious. Okay. Well, I will give you a quick synopsis of what I did. Uh, once I could, once I could count adding badges, getting rid of badges was real easy. I didn't have any trouble with that. It was. Uh, and and I, I broke things down by starting out with, with smaller and smaller versions of what I was trying to do. And uh it it got me there eventually, but it wasn't uh it wasn't quite the way I expected it to do to do it. Well that um, is the right approach, right? Uh, if a problem is too big, break it into little problems and solve each of those and then when you get hopefully at the end of the day you have yourself a little Lego kit where you just stick all the bricks together and ta da, it's a car. Yeah, well, but that was surprising, too, because I built little Lego bricks and they didn't turn into a car. (laughs) And again, I mean, I had a could and I had a drivetrain, you know, and I had the windshield wipers. But when I was done, I didn't have a car. Um, How did I get a rubber duck from these? Yeah, really. Uh, Let's see. I created a thing called Badge Counter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took, uh, so jQuery dollar, dollar, uh, parentheses quote looked at my badge which was the badge i was going to be updating mm-hmm. dot text mm-hmm. parentheses badge count in quotes plus badge counter so I, I did the concatenation there basically but it was okay. my badge dot text was how i i i worked on that in the end so you were storing the your ongoing count in the badge and then reading it back from the badge yeah and then updating no. it as you click the button yeah yeah Right, 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 right. And then it was a matter of just, you know, doing a plus equals to increment the counter or a minus equals to decrement the counter or a make it zero again if you'd hit the uh, the close Kill all button. button. Yeah. That works. That's a perfectly so, valid approach. It's like two lines of code, Bart. It took me six hours. The first four were doing the first one. Right. But event-based event-based stuff is hard to get your head around and it takes a little little while to get into the habit of that. And there's a reason I chose to do it to give you what sounds like a small assignment. Yeah, once I got it, I was totally yeah. understood. I mean, and I, the good thing is I do completely understand. So that's good, right? 
Very. I can. Yes. I, I, I mean, I can even use all the right words. Remember, I used to yell at you during the JavaScript part. I couldn't say the right words. I know all the right words here. I can rattle them all off. I know what a what a tag is and what a what a uh, uh, an ID is, and I know you know I got it all down. Can't type it. Good. Well, look, practice, 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 practice. Yeah. Anyway, the first actual part of the homework was very, very, very simple. You just pop a little jumbotron into your recipe. And by the way, this finishes off our recipes. So that literally is just a copy and paste job. So I don't think we need yeah. to spend any time on it. Um, you can the the zip file contains my beautiful finished recipe. I it may be worth people's curiosity to go back to the very first attempt at the recipe and then to look at our final responsive recipe with its nice jumbotron and I think you'll find that Bootstrap has done us the world of good here and really taken us forward yeah oh yeah definitely um, so then the second part of the challenge was much more challenging if you'll excuse the terrible pun um, it was to use the solution from the previous homework, which was a little web form where you had a button to add more alerts and you had a drop down to choose what style of alert they were and a text box to choose what text should be in the alert. And then a button to close all the alerts at once. And then basically it was take that as your starting point, which was a perfectly working page, and then to make it count how many alerts you had. And it should add those that counter into the button for adding more badges as a little sorry, adding more alerts as a little badge, like you would often see, like in a, you know, on in the web and stuff, you see little badges. So the first thing to do, if you're going to have a badge you're going to update through JavaScript, is to add a badge into your HTML. So straightforward enough, I created a span, gave it the class badge and the class badge dash light. I gave it the ID counter underscore badge and I shoved it into my button. So that is and what I find interesting in, in playing with your solution is your button, your alert doesn't show until there's a value in it. Well, and good, mine thank shows you. with a value in it. I mean, I had it. I had to have it tell me zero. I didn't know. I don't know how to make it not show it unless you did some sort of invisibility cloak. Yeah, thing. Bootstrap did it. If mm-hmm. you make if you make a badge be completely empty to have absolutely no content, Bootstrap will not show it. So you see the way there I have a span and then immediately the slash span, that is invisible until you put something inside the span and then it becomes visible. It's just hmm. well-written CSS. Hmm. I have to think about that. Okay. Yeah. So you get that for free because it's bootstrap and it rocks. Hmm. Uh, which is actually a point in my show notes, so there we go. Um, <laughs> I didn't even read ahead to say that. I'm not being a straight man on purpose. Well, I mean, you, you're going to run into the same problems, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, same, yeah. So the next thing is then the bit that you got a little bit stuck on, which is the counting the number of alerts, I guess in my case from first principles. So if you think about it, in aviation, there's two ways to figure out where you are. You can get a GPS, which is basically finding it from first principles, or you can use dead reckoning and basically keep track of the direction you're flying in and how long you've been flying in it, and then you'll know where you are. You know, your, your mm-hmm. solution was dead reckoning, and I've gone for GPS. But okay. both perfectly valid solutions. So all the alerts we add are inside a div, which in my solution had the wonderfully imaginative ID insert here. I like that. Right. And every alert has the CSS class alert by definition, because that's what Bootstrap tells you it must have, right? That's how it becomes an alert. Right. Is you give it the class alert. So mm-hmm. based on those two pieces of information... A CSS selector, pound sign or octothorpe or hash, whatever we're calling it today, uh, 
parent sign, insert underscore here, space, period, or full stop, or dot, alert, will select all of the alerts that we created. Because space means contained within. So the dot alerts contained within, insert here. Okay, why is there a dot? Okay, so pound sign means ID and period means class. So for the first three of four hours, I didn't know to put the dot there. Then Dorothy said, I think it needs a dot. And I swear to you on, on, on the uh, bootstrap guidebook, I had exactly what you have written here and it didn't do anything. I was getting just all, I, I, when I'd look in the JavaScript console, I was trying to do like a, a console.log, mm-hmm. that, that string of stuff that you have there. And it would say W parenthesis 16. Sometimes it said 19. Did you have 16 or 19 alerts? <laughs> nope. Nope. This is before I had any. And I, that's where I was stuck. That is exactly where I was stuck. I mean, knowing it needed a dot, I don't, boy, I forgot all about that. But Dorothy did tell me, put a dot in. I think it'll work. And it never did. So I don't know what, I was clearly doing something else wrong, but I was, I mean, you practically yeah, I would need to see your code and your line. markup to, to figure out what was going on, obviously. Yeah, and now I don't have a copy of it from when it wasn't working. Anyway. Yes. Okay, so we have the dollar function, which is jQuery's do everything function. And we're passing that dollar function a string, which is a CSS selector. So that tells jQuery that it should go off and query the document for everything that matches that piece of CSS. So in this case, it's going to go off to the document and find all of the alerts. And it will create from all of those alerts a jQuery object that represents all of those alerts. So now we have one jQuery object which contains many things. We don't really care about the things. All we care about is how many of the things there are. And in jQuery speak, that means we want the length property of that jQuery object. So in other words, we have dollar pound insert underscore here space period alert dot length. And that gives us the number of alerts. Sure it does, Bart. <laughs> does? <laughs> sure it does. No doubt. I know so it's right. The next thing then is we now have how many alerts there are. So the next question is, what do we do? So we need to inject those into our badge. And my choice has been, I didn't want to write the number zero because I didn't like how that looked. Instead, what I wanted to do was either write the number or empty the badge. So if there was, if the number was zero, I didn't write a zero, I emptied the badge. And if the number was not zero, I wrote the number. That was my, my little algorithm. So if num alerts greater than zero, do one thing, else do the other. So in both cases, the first thing to do is to get a reference to the badge that we wanted to update. So dollar, and then we pass it a single string, which is a CSS selector. In this case, the CSS selector is uh, pound sign counter underscore badge, which is the ID of my badge. And pound sign, of course, means ID. And so in the case where it was greater than zero, I said dot text and passed it num alerts. In other words, write the number of alerts as the text inside the badge, which is very similar to where you were going with things. Like right. exactly where you were going with things. Mm-hmm. And then my else is simply to call jQuery's empty function, which does what it says on the tin and it empties whatever you call it on. So basically either nice. write the number or empty the badge. Nice. I like it. Um, so then I put it all together to make a function, which I called update counter. And it simply says, get me the number and then either write it or empty. So that's literally the lines of code we've looked at already. So at that stage, we need to start... Basically, every possible event now needs to call this function. Uh, 
So if I create another badge, I need to call this function. If I close a badge, I need to call this function. If I close all the badges, I need to count, I need to call this function. Basically, whatever I do that could cause a badge to change its existence, I need to call this function. Uh, so the easiest thing to do is to simply put a call to update counter at the end of the click handler for the button that makes badges. That that one's easy, right? We have a button to make a badge. We just call that function at the very last line in that function. Problem solved there. So that takes care of one of them. The second one then is what happens when someone clicks the little X on an alert. And there was some sample code I had left behind by accident which showed how you could console.log whenever someone clicked the close button. So it's not a million miles from there to having it change our counter. But there was a little subtlety I left behind by accident as it happens, but it turned out to be useful. So there are two events that happen when you close an alert. There is the event that fires before the alert begins to close itself. And there is the event that fires when the alert has finished closing itself. Because although it's subtle, it is actually animated over a quarter of a second. Hmm. So, so for, it has a beginning and end. It has a beginning and an end. So it has two events. Close.bs.alert. BS meaning bootstrap, not bovine excrement. Um, <laughs> and closed.bs.alert. So if you were to attach your update function, as I did by mistake, to close instead of closed, you will always be out by one. Oh, God, that would drive you bananas. It very briefly did. And then I RTFM'd. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, that does make kind of a difference in this case. So close is the action of starting to close and closed is when it's done closing. Yes. Wow. And has removed itself from the DOM. So when you do the count, it's not there anymore. While it's closing, it still exists. It's animating itself out of existence, but it's it's there. It's in the HTML still because it hasn't been pulled out yet. And close yeah, fires a, the moment it's gone. Is that a bootstrappy thing? Yes, these yes. So you can tell it's a bootstrappy okay. thing because it has the BS. So it is right. bootstrap is firing an event and bootstrap is very consistent in its naming. So it will be whatever it is, the event name, followed by a period followed by BS for bootstrap, followed by the bootstrap thingy that it belongs to. So in this case, okay. it's close.bs.alert, so close a bootstrap alert. But if you and were so, to close an alert that you weren't using bootstrap, would you have the same problem? Well, it would entirely possible? depend on how the alert was written, right? But pretty much any library, because remember, there's no such thing as an alert in plain HTML, right? It's all right. a concoction. So it is normal. Anything that animates has a start and an end. And so any library that involves anything that shows itself and hides itself, anything but instantaneously will have two events. So I guess a a broad lesson to take home would be, or to put back in the memory banks is when you're off by one, when you're counting something, maybe it's because there's a beginning and an end to an event. Yes. Maybe not even a counting function, but, but watch for the beginning and end of animated events. Yeah, and sometimes you want to know when something has started, and sometimes you want to know when something has ended. So it is actually important to know, you know, to, to pay attention. To, you know, do I care about that quarter of a second? And the thing is, you know, as we get more advanced in JavaScript, it doesn't have to be a quarter of a second. We can do stuff with uh, jQuery where we fade stuff in and out over five seconds or 10 seconds. And then all of a sudden that becomes a much more consequential choice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, Bart, you talked about where you inserted this function. And one of the things that I... Uh, I knew I had to figure out, and I knew that was part of why I'm doing these these uh, challenges. Mm-hmm. Was was where in the code to put 
code I'm writing. So we've got yes. our we've got our HTML in the main, and I was pretty sure it didn't go there because there wasn't any other JavaScripty kind of stuff. So I said, okay, well it's got it, it can't be in there. I knew it shouldn't be in our little section where we just put in we call the uh, JavaScript libraries and and the other ones. Uh, I forget what they're called right now. Um, but then there was at our own JavaScript code was a section you had made for us, and then the document ready handler. And so I was trying to put stuff in the JavaScript. I, I got a little tangled between the JavaScript code I was writing and the document ready handler, and which was supposed to be where. That that paused me for quite some time. So it's all about events, right? You're always responding to events when you're doing JavaScript-based UI, which is what we're doing here, right? The user does something and our code runs. So we are responding mm -hmm. to events. So the most important event is the page has now loaded because there's no point in us trying to attach a click handler to the button to make a new alert if the button doesn't exist yet. That makes sense? R right. So... It's, say that last part one more time. There's no point in us trying to attach a click handler to a button that doesn't exist yet. Yes. Right. Um, Right. So that means that when it comes to us making a web page do something in response to a human, there, we cannot do our stuff until the page has loaded. And then we can say, now attach a click handler here, attach a double click handler there, attach an event listener here. Until the page has loaded, we actually can't do any of those things because it may or may not exist yet. So the document ready right. function is really where your jQuery code goes. Because until the document's ready, what are you interacting with? You know, you can't get the painters in while the house is still halfway through the second floor. Right, right. So it's always going to be inside the document ready function, pretty much if you're doing your jQuery event stuff. But, and so but you wrote your function outside of the document ready handler. Right, because the function, the, the function is the definition of a thing. It doesn't execute. You're not... Remember I was saying it's like defining a spell and actually casting a spell? So Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so writing the function is just creating the spell. It's making Expelliarmus exist. Actually waving your wand with a swish and a flick is when you call the function with parens after its name. So we call right. the function in our event handlers. We define the function in such a place where its scope means it's actually visible. It has to, right, The function yeah. has to exist as well as the HTML having to exist, right? So when the document ready right. handler finally fires, the function must exist and the HTML must exist. So I need to write the function outside the event handler because otherwise when the event handler fires, the function doesn't exist. Yeah. So you define things outside the document ready and then you attach event handlers after, you know, as part of the document ready. As in, this page yeah. is now ready so I can attach a, a click handler to this button and another doodad to another doodad. It's... So I didn't end up creating a function so it didn't really follow that Sure. That process I mean, in the end, but had I had I done that, I I wouldn't have been able to put it inside the document ready handler. It would not have. It wouldn't work. I, you may or may not have gotten away with, it, but you'd have to be very careful of the scope because stuff. You just got to yeah. make sure the scope works, right? Because right, the point, I was you, I was concerned about the scope. I was looking at that, going, "Well, wait a minute. How does it know? You know, is this variable going to exist over in this thing?" Exactly. So by putting it outside, I sort of took care of all of that. It sits there in the global scope. Global scope okay. is, is your well, global scope is your friend until you pollute it to the point where there's no room left. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, yep. global scope is our friend. That's right, that's right. 
Okay. So in, in the case of my code, so within the click handler for the button to make new alerts, I added an event listener to the closed event <laughs> to update my counter. So whenever someone closes an, uh, an alert, the counter updates. And then I added an update button or an up- a call to update as the very, very last line in that click handler. In other words, when you click to create a new alert, create the alert, make the alert listen for itself closing, and also immediately update the counter. Right. So you don't ever... I don't... Hmm. I'm not seeing where you call it in the event handler on the close button. As opposed uh, line to the 14. Closed... Line 14. Or line 13, 14 and Sorry, 15. I was cheating. I was over in uh, line 14. Oh, okay. So in the actual real code, hang on. Yeah. Line number in the So the closed... Code. The closed event, but I see you've got you've also got the close button, but the close button doesn't update the counter. The closed. All right, so the close button doesn't need to update the counter because the close button just tells each alert to close itself, which means the close button will cause the closed event to happen. Oh, I thought this whole time you were talking about the close all. Okay, either the close all or the close close one, they both cause the event and then that would trigger your pro, your thing to yeah. update. So I oh. have hung it on the event that says this alert oh, yeah, is yeah. being closed. I haven't this, I haven't predicated on how the alert is closed. I've added the listener to the alert clo- to the alert closing. So if, if the alert closes right. because the person clicked the little X, bootstrap will fire the event. My code will be listening for that event. My code will happen. If you click on the button that says close all, then that button's click handler will close the alert. But again, the event happens. The alert is closing. So once you attach yourself to the closed event, it doesn't matter how that event came into being. The event has happened. Your code has run. <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting too tangled here, but how come you don't have to run it when you when you click, when you open one? But you do. That's on line 102 in the real code. Right, there are two calls, line ninety five oh, and line sorry, 102. Sorry, gotcha. Okay. Right. So the click handler's last thing it does is update the counter. So I have built an alert, I have added some listeners to the alert, I have put the alert into the HTML. So on gotcha. line ninety nine I inject it into the document, and then the last thing I do before I finish myself is update the counter. It bothers me that you close you you update the counter in the in the close thing before you update the counter for a creation of one. I mean, right. I know that's not the way it works, but it looks right. sequential that way. Yeah, and that is the joy of, or that is one of the joys of event-based programming. When you make an event listener, it doesn't actually happen when you write the code. Yeah, but that's upsetting to me. Yeah, that's what UI is like, <laughs> right? A script yeah. has a beginning, a middle, and an end. A UI doesn't, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. it's but entirely I'm to- driven by the user. Yeah, and and even though I know that, I sit there looking at it going, but what order does it go in? How do I type this? Okay, yeah. good. I don't yeah. want to hang us up from learning more, but uh, that was good. Yeah, well, that that's it, actually. <laughs> Great. A bit anticlimactic okay. now, but yes, that's it. That is that is my full <laughs> Ta-da! solution. Ta-da! It is, all in the, um, it is all in the zip file as pbs61challenge2solution.html. Um, and it's not many lines of code, but it is very mentally dense. Yeah. And it's good practice. Okay, so let us get stuck into Bootstrap Forms. And after much agonizing about how I was going to do this, I've decided to do it very simply. We're going to make our first form, and I'm going to talk you through it. Okay. Um, 
before we do that, I am going to say a few sort of more general things. Bootstrap is... Bootstrap feels strongly that you should use proper markup, proper semantic markup, and that you should be good to people with uh, various impairments and that therefore you should do all the uh, the best practices in terms of accessibility. And if you don't do that, Bootstrap will probably bite you on the backside and make your form look wrong. Oh. So I think that's no bad thing. So basically, write good markup and Bootstrap will reward you. Write bad markup and Bootstrap will bite you. I find myself falling into the bad habit of, okay, 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 I'll do that, but I got to understand how to make it first. And then I don't. Yeah, it's... Like, ah, I know I was supposed to write a bunch of other stuff, but I'm not going to do that because I'm tired now. Yeah, well, Bootstrap won't let you away with that because if you're missing a class or if you're missing a tag, then the CSS won't apply and it'll look wrong and weird things will happen and stuff will stick out of the edges of lines and it won't line up right and it'll look silly. So when you're writing Bootstrap, you do need to be careful. You need to actually follow along. Um, a way of thinking about forms is also good. So I want to get it into your into your brain to start thinking of a form as being a collection of molecules. Right, each molecule is one piece of information you're trying to extract from the user from the user's brain. Right, so that might be their name, and so the molecule of I want their name actually has a few parts. It has a label that says what it is you want. It has some sort of HTML form element to allow them to click something or slide something or type something. Basically, some way for them to interact and actually do something. And it may or may not have some help text to help them along the way. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. So when you start to think of a form as being a bunch of these molecules made up of those atoms, then Bootstrap will work for you because that's exactly what Bootstrap forces you to do. So if you think about it that way, then Bootstrap will be working with you and not against you. Okay. Uh, Bootstrap is also very picky about the fact that if something needs a label, it needs a label. So if you have a text input, you give it a label. Now, you may want to hide that label visually, but you do not omit it. You give it hmm. the, the helper class .sor-only to make it screen reader only, but you keep it in your code so that your code is semantically hmm. correct. You know, so how it looks. Two for the price of one, you get the semantic tag and the screen reader uh, capabilities in one tag. Exactly. And I mm. mean, Bootstrap is very much trying to get people into the habit of thinking about accessibility because it makes it makes for better code and it has the advantage of making the web more accessible to more people. So it's, it is a win-win, right? Yeah. The other thing Bootstrap is quite picky about is that you should use the appropriate type equals on inputs. So HTML5 has given us a whole bunch of wonderful input types like URL and email and number. And Bootstrap is rather insistent that you use them. Or at mm, least if you want okay. Bootstrap to be able to deliver its full of full range of magic tricks, you have to. So just, you know, so there are your three sort of habits to get into. Think of it as being molecules of information consisting of labels, inputs, and text, and help text. Always label stuff, even if you end up hiding it with SOR only and always use the right type on your inputs. And if you do those three things, you will have a much less stressful time. Okay. So let's just straight on. Let's just do an illustrated example, and we'll take it from there. So the code we're going to be looking at is in the zip file as pbs628.html. And there is a screenshot that I need to resize before we publish this blog post, <laughs> um, which shows what it looks like. It's a simple contact form. Which I've named, which I've given the title feedback. It says name, your name, email address, a contact email address. We may use this email address to contact you with follow up questions, but we will never publish your address. 
product, drop down of our products, which of our fine products does your feedback relate to? Acquired, new, used, or as a gift? And used is also second-hand if you're European. Um, then your feedback, how you feel emotionally about this feedback, which can be happy, sad, confused, or angry. Uh, and then finally, I agree to use this feedback as a testimonial with a little bit of help text that says we always anonymize feedback before we use it as a testimonial and then a giant big send your feedback button. So that is a wow. very basic HTML form consisting of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven atoms, seven Maybe molecules eight. made up of a bunch of atoms. That right. Seems- and they're all different things. Yeah. That looks fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's by no means an accident. They're all different things. And some of them are a little bit contrived. Yeah, I'm sure. But Which, I like yes, it. I wanted some of everything, so that's what we have. So let's let's start picking apart the code. So the very first thing to say is that when you're writing a form in Bootstrap, it's going to be a part of a page, and Bootstrap insists that the entire form be surrounded by a tag of your choosing, which has the class form. So the whole form needs to be wrapped in a something, and Bootstrap doesn't care what the something is, but you have to hmm. give it the class form. Now, while Bootstrap doesn't care, it does have an opinion on what you what it, you probably should use, but not what you must use. Okay. The Bootstrap documentation pushes you towards using a field set because that's the semantically correct tag for a form. Right, I remember and, those. And it also gives you the legend at your disposal for giving your form a title, which is generally speaking a good thing to do. So the relevant sort of big picture stuff from my example is we have our main tag, which is class equals container. So we're setting up a jQuery grid. We have div class equals grid. You mean a bootstrap grid? A bootstrap grid. Yes. Did I say jQuery? Yes, I meant bootstrap. See, I know the lingo now. Yay. (laughs) Uh, We then have a row in our grid. So div class equals row. Mm -hmm. Uh, We then have our field set. So the field set is where our form begins. It has a class of call, and there's a few other adaptive classes to keep it narrow because I don't want my form to look silly when my screen becomes big. So I'm just intentionally keeping it narrow for now. And then the all important thing, the class form. Now, because we're good Wait, accessibility people... I don't see people, the class form. I see role equals form. Okay, so back about 10 characters to the left. Ah, Oh, it's embedded in all the little, all the other classes. Okay, so you've got call, call me to make, call large six, then it says form. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. I might put now, that first so I don't forget. Probably a good idea. I was too busy making it not look wrong, and then I was like, oh, yeah, and it's a form. <laughs> <laughs> now, the and role, the role equals, equals form, form that, is that the ARIA labeled by stuff? That is, no. well, it's not the ARIA labeled by stuff, but it is ARIA stuff. So it is telling a screen reader that this field set is containing a form. Okay. And then the ARIA labeled by tells the screen reader which piece of the page tells the screen reader what this form is. So in this case, it's the legend. So ARIA labeled by is feedback underscore FM underscore desk. So where in the document does it say ID equals that? Well, the answer is legend ID equals that. So that tells the screen reader that this form that starts here is the feedback form. Does that make yeah, sense? this is where yeah, it does make complete sense when you're saying it. This is where when I go back and look at it, I sit there going, "Why did he make those two things the same? Do they have to be the same, or is it just he got lazy and he didn't come up with a second name?" So I for, I, I get stuck on that from time to time. Okay, okay. With your aria stuff, the value inside an aria tag, so an aria labeled by or an aria um, described by, 
it's specifying what in a document, so it's always an ID, which means that somewhere oh, else in okay. the document, that ID has to exist. Okay. I'm sure you told me that before, but that, that cements it's, it Yeah, it's okay. we're, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm very intentionally focusing on the ARIA stuff again because we haven't looked at it in months. Okay. So I'm, I'm being very careful to, to be explicit about it. Then we have the actual form. Um, yeah, we have the actual form. <laughs> it's not all that <laughs> okay. exciting. Uh, and then I have a comment here that says, form UI goes here. So the rest of our discussion today is the form UI goes here bit. So big picture wise, we have a field set that's wrapping our entire form with a roll of form and we're labeling it with a legend and we're using the ARIA stuff to tie the label to the form and it's all good and healthy. Can can you remind me of why we say form action equals JavaScript colon void zero? Because otherwise, by default, web forms date from the days before JavaScript. So by default, when you click a web form, it does a submit to the server and expects a response. So in other words, it reloads the page. Oh. So if you so, don't say JavaScript colon void zero, it'll just keep reloading the page? Every, every time, time you click the submit button, the whole page will refresh and you'll be right back okay. to square one while your text gone. Yeah. So okay. by default, the form defaults. So an empty URL means is the relative URL to the current page. And the default action is an empty URL. So as soon as you click submit, the page refreshes. Okay. Uh, JavaScript colon means don't do the normal HTML stuff. Run this JavaScript code instead. And void zero means do nothing. Okay. So basically, when you click this form, don't refresh the page. Just do this JavaScript, which happens to be the most pointless JavaScript on planet Earth. It does nothing. <laughs> you have a you have a text expander snippet for this, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. You really should make a shared list, you know. The thing is, it's full of very personal and opinionated stuff, oh. my JavaScript one. Oh, okay. I, would just, I would make as many people cranky as happy. Probably <laughs> okay. more. So All right. the reason I told you to think of your form as being a bunch of molecules where each molecule is one piece of information you're trying to suck out is because that's exactly what Bootstrap thinks. But Bootstrap has a nicer name for those molecules. It calls them form groups. So a form group is all of the tags for one piece of information. So name... Hmm is a piece of information. Email is a piece of information. Emotion is a piece of information, even though it has four radio buttons. It's one piece of information, so it'll be one form group. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Acquired is one form group, because the piece of information is how did you acquire this product. The fact that it needs three radio buttons is irrelevant. It's one piece of information, so it's a form group. Hmm. And uh, Bootstrap insists that you give something... So all of your fields will be wrapped inside a, a, a tag of your choosing, and that tag must get the class form-group. And most of the time, you'll use a div. You don't have to, but that's, generally speaking, what people generally use. Yeah, so okay. Like, so you're going to have a div, class equals form-group. So as an example, um, I said to think of them as being molecules made up of up to three atoms. Well, you can have a few more, but in this, generally speaking, a label... Some HTML input, some HTML form elements, and maybe some help text. So the label is just a normal label, right? There's nothing special going on in the label. Uh, the input must also get an extra special class that tell Bootstrap, I am opting into your opinionated version of life. So the the the, the, the input or the drop down or the button, if you want it to be bootstrap looking, it gets the class form dash control. Hmm. Because another word for an HTML form element is an HTML form control. 
So a checkbox is a control, a text box is a control, a button is a control, a drop-down is a control. It's not the word I've been using, but it is the word that a lot of programmers use, and it's the word Bootstrap uses. So form-control is... the And you only do that on the inputs. Input selects on the... On the clicky Anything bit. Anything where you're, the, the thing you're interacting with. Exactly. The inter- okay. the, yeah, exactly. The thing you interact with is the control. And so it gets okay. the class form-control. Okay. Uh, and then any help text, you give it the class form-text. You don't... Really? <sighs> that that has absolute meaning? That, it does, well, it, does, it, it tells Bootstrap that this is, this is not a title. This is not describe, this is not email address. This is, you know, this is additional text and it will make sure that it is dis- no matter what tag you use whether it's an inline tag or not it will be displayed as a block level element if you give it this class form dash text so in this case okay. we're using the small tag because that's semantically appropriate it's basically small print um, right right and we're saying class equals form dash text and then the another thing that bootstrap suggests but does not in any way enforce is that your help text should be muted. So you should give it the class text-muted because generally speaking, you don't want the help text to be as prominent as the title or the form element. You want it to fade away a bit. So they suggest that you give it text-muted. It's not a requirement, but it does look good. What if you just had some text you wanted to be informatory about this form? Informatory is not a word. (laughs) Well, I mean, that is information text. You would give it the class form-text, and then you would make a decision on whether you wanted it to be muted or not. Okay, but it would still, even though it wasn't part of a form group, well, it would it would... still have form-text? Oh, I don't see how it wouldn't be part of a form group. What, uh... Oh, okay. So, I mean, if, if above, uh, the before you start your first piece of form group stuff like you've got you've got feedback as as a, a big thing above where we ask for the name right what what is the text feedback is that part of a form that is or the legend of that form it's the legend of the form so that doesn't get form dash text no that is the actual title of the entire form so that is the, your legend tag that goes along with your field set right so, so let's get form dash text, text is not explaining part... sorry yeah, that's not Let- part of any of our atoms, right? That is the heading for the form as a whole. That doesn't belong to a part of the form that is part of the form. Okay, oh, we're not really... Well, yeah, okay, so this is stuff before the form. So if I wanted some explanation of why I was asking for this feedback and that was before you started the form, it's not part of the form, so it's not form-text. Got it. Bingo. Okay. Exactly. Okay, the other thing we have in here is some more ARIA stuff that I want to draw your attention to. So our description, our help text isn't... An island universe, right? That help text is about something. And what that help text is about is the input straight above it. So we can connect the two together by giving the help text an ID, in this case, email underscore tb underscore desk. And then on the input, we say aria described by equals. And then we give it that ID. Hmm. So labeled by means this is the title and described by means here's a little paragraph. Hmm. So we're saying aria described by dunk. Down it goes. Huh. Okay, so we're, we're again, we're telling the screener this help text matches this clickable thing. Right. And the ID does is what's the talking Does the order of these together. atoms inside our form group, does it matter? 
Like, it could doesn't you matter given it- functionally. It just it's going to depend on how it looks. So if you put the input first, the input will appear first. And if you put so the order of oh, the tags right, right, will be right. the order in the page. So if yeah. you think it looks better to have the text box and then the title and the the help text. I'm just wondering since the the help text has the uh, the class. Uh, wait a minute. No, the ID. No, it has the ID that's going to tell the screen reader. Can you give? Can so? Can you have it before you ever tell Aria describe by where to find it? Yes, you can because nothing happens till the document is loaded. Okay, so everything exists as of that time. Okay. Yeah. 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 Your screen reader doesn't begin to go through the page. Your screen reader is also waiting for document ready. Okay. Right. And document right. ready is king. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all about the document ready. Okay. Um, so the key takeaway here. So so far, three, four things I want stuck in your brain. The entire form gets wrapped in class equals form. Then within right. the form, we have our little molecules, and the molecules get wrapped with form dash group. Then inside our little molecules, we have form dash control for the clickable things, and we have form dash text for the help text. Okay, so there are four bootstrap classes we've met so far today. Yeah. And that covers the vast majority of your typical clickable things, with two exceptions, <laughs> checkboxes and radio buttons. Oh, okay. So text areas are covered, text boxes of all of the different varieties are covered, and selects are covered. What we're missing, or what needs different treatment, is checkboxes and radio buttons. And the reason they need different treatment is because it doesn't make sense to have the title on one line and then the radio button all by itself on the line below. Right. That makes perfect sense for everything else we've done, but it does not make sense for checkboxes or radio buttons. They need to be sort of next in to line. the text, and the text yeah. needs to be sort of indented in. It, it, it needs different styling. And so for that reason, there are a collection of bootstrap classes designed to, to do this. So just like we've been talking about our molecules consisting of a label, something clicky, and then maybe some help text, well, the something clicky is going to itself become a molecule inside a molecule for checkboxes and radio buttons. And what Bootstrap wants you to do is to take the radio button and its text or the checkbox and its text and to wrap those in a little wrapper and that wrapper should get the special class form-check. Oh, oh, okay. So it, it just cleans all that up with that one little uh, class. That's nice. Yes, so that one class wraps the two together. You have a little bit more markup to do, unfortunately, but that, that is the first and most important part. You have to So you wrap the label and the checkbox inside form-check, and then you give the label the class form-check-label, and the checkbox or radio button the class form-check-input. Okay, hang on. I'm reading and thinking at the same time. Let me try to say that. So our, our form group class... We've got a, a div with a class of form group, but we also want to say form dash check. So now it knows it's either going to be a checkbox or a radio button. And then our okay. our imp. Yeah, I was going to say don't read ahead that far yet because that oh, gets the thing I'm about to say. That's what you just said. Okay. Right. So for now, just think about the right. We have a single radio button or a single checkbox. Now right. radio buttons almost never come in ones, but for now, I only want you to think about one. Right? Okay. 
So whether or not it's part of a bigger collection, for now, just think about the one radio button. That one radio okay. button has some text and the radio button itself. So those two things need to be wrapped up in a neat little package, and that neat little package has to have, has to have the class form-check. Okay. And then inside the little package, the text has to have the class form-check-label, and the actual checkbox or radio button has to have the class form-check-input. And that, when you say it's a radio button, it's a radio button or a checkbox. Or a checkbox, yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So now we have that little thing. Now, how do we use those little things? Well, the simplest, the simplest way to use a checkbox is to use a checkbox, as in I agree to these terms and conditions or whatever. It's a single one thing. And for a single one thing, it sort of collapses because the, the molecule, the form group, and the checkbox group are actually the same thing because there's only one of them. So you can just have one div that has the two classes, form-group-space-form-check. Okay. Because yes. oh, that's you're a saying simple... only checkboxes can do that? Only single checkbox form elements, right? If, if, the, if, the, if the thing you want to get from the user, if the, the piece of information you're trying to extract from the user can be summed up in a single checkbox, then you can have one wrapper that acts as both the form group and the form check because there's only one checkbox. Okay, okay. Right. This is a simple case. There is a checkbox. And in our example, that is the I agree button at the bottom. Right, okay. That is a checkbox and that is the totality of that piece of information we're trying to pull out of the user. So the input type is form-check and the, and the div class is... Wait, right. they're both form dash. Okay, so the wrapper is form-group because it is a piece of information we're trying to pull out of the user and it's a form-check because it's a single checkbox and it's label. Right? Okay. So the wrapper takes two roles. The wrapper is doing two jobs. It is both the form-group and the form-check. Right. Then the checkbox itself gets the class form-check-input. Oh, I see what the problem was. There's a word wrap. It just said class equals form-check. I'm like, we already told it it was a form-check. The dash input is on the next line. That's what was confusing me. Okay, yeah, I can, okay. that is annoying. Nothing, nothing to be done. Okay. Uh, and then we have our label, which has the class mm -hmm. form-check-label. Yeah. And then we have, just for completeness, we have our little bit of extra information with the class form-text and text-muted. Right, and that, we that saying, doesn't change. Yeah, that we're doesn't. always anonymizing okay. feedback, yeah. So that's basically a standard piece of form text. Okay. So that's the simplest situation, a single solitary checkbox. Now, radio buttons don't come in ones, because that would make no sense. <laughs> right? Right. It's one piece of information we're trying to extract from the user, but it's multiple collections of a radio button and some text. A radio button. Well, I thought a text. creative example. I'm going to put in a radio button that says "I agree." Oh, <laughs> that will be called evil and against the GDPR. Oh, fine. It's literally illegal in Europe, Allison. <laughs> I never said it. Okay, I was just kidding. So, in this case, our markup becomes a little bit more complicated. So we now have a wrapper around everything, which gets the class form dash group. And inside that, we should have a label that covers the whole thing, right? In other words, in the case of how we acquired the device, that label is acquired. I think that's the label I get. Yeah, acquired, right? That label is describing 
all of the radio buttons. It's not describing a radio button, it's describing the sum total of radio buttons. Does oh, that make right. sense? Yeah. So that's why it's sitting there directly in the form group. Right. Now, under that label, we then have three separate mini mini molecules, which are our three separate form checks. So we have div class equals form check containing input type equals radio, blah, 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 class equals form dash check dash input. And then mm-hmm. we have another div class equals form check input type equals radio. And then another label. And then we have another class form check, right? So we have three form checks inside our one form group. Yes? Right. I'm just thinking of a question that I get stuck on when I look at these inputs. A perfect example of where I don't know why there's something there and I don't know what we're doing with is name equals acquired on each okay. one of those input types. Right. Okay. They all so how name equals acquired. What is that for? Okay. So those three independent radio buttons are part of one radio group. Right. That is how the browser knows they're the same. But we already put a label around it. No, we didn't put a label around it. Each one has its own label. And there's a label up top for the human beings. But the browser doesn't know, right? When I click one radio button, all the related ones are supposed to unclick themselves. The way the browser knows which those... the The way the browser knows that those three radio buttons are part of one thing is the name equals. Hmm. If they have the same so name... not the fact that they're in the same div, not that they're part of the nope. same form group. Nope. That's more what it looks like, right? That's what... It, exactly. The browser... Okay. The way... That, by definition, by the rules of radio buttons, which we learned a long time ago, mm-hmm. which is why I'm stressing it now, by the rules of radio buttons, the way you tell it that these radio buttons are connected is by giving them the same name. Okay. So when the form submits, whichever one of those three things with the same name is checked then that value is what's going back to the web server. Okay. Right. Glad I asked. Never. It's very important. Never yes, did get that in the previous... I mean, it's not like I forgot. It's like I never got it in the first place. I remember going, man, I really need to ask him that. I kept forgetting. Good. Okay. Perfect. I have another little amount of ARIA to uh, point out to you. So ARIA w- likes you to tell screen readers that a div is acting as a collection of radio group, a radio buttons, and it calls that a radio group. So the whole thing, our form group, gets the role radio group, which just tells the screener that this is a collection of radio buttons that belong to each other. Okay. And then we tell the screen reader that the label that's sitting above it all matches that radio group by saying aria labeled by equals an ID, and then we give that big label the same ID. Right, right. And then we go ahead and we do our individual form check, form check, form check. Right. Now, that by default, Bootstrap's default opinion is that radio groups should be stacked vertically, one on top of the other, like a multi-choice questionnaire. And that's usually fine. That's, in fact, nine times out of ten, that's absolutely fine. But there are a few situations where that's not fine, and it took me a little bit of contriving, but I figured one out. Uh, and that is our little emotions radio group, <laughs> right? They're okay. all on one line because I decided instead of writing happy, sad, confused, and angry, I would use emoji because emoji are fun. Okay. Right. And so they should be all on one line. So does Bootstrap allow this? Well, of course it does because you've just seen it with your own eyes. So how does Bootstrap allow this? And the answer is it has a special inline variant 
of um, our form check, which has the wonderfully imaginative name form-check-inline. And so all you have to do is exactly the same markup as before, but you give the extra class of form-check-inline to every form check. Huh. So if you wanted, if you wanted, um, so you've got four in a row. If you wanted two uh, on one row and two on the next row, could you do the first two saying inline, the third not saying inline, and the fourth saying inline? Mm. (laughs) That could be an experiment for the student. I was going to say what you'd end up with. You could end up with some of them on one line and then one on the next line by itself. The one that doesn't get the inline is going to be on a line by itself. Oh, it can't possibly have another one. Okay. Yeah. So I think you just throw a BR tag between them. Yeah. Okay. Which sometimes does what I want it to do. Sometimes. <laughs> okay. That's so neat. that actually is almost everything, but I do just want to point out one little subtlety. So the emoji are perfectly fine for 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 normally abled people. And they're a fun and, you know, they're a bit of crack. But a screen reader could probably do with some English. Mm. So you'll notice my markup actually says sad, happy, confused, and angry. But it has wrapped those English labels inside span class equals s or dash only. Okay, so the screen reader is still going to read the emoji out loud, but it'll if it's also able to, know. yeah. If it, yeah, they, yeah, I think they yeah. Do. A modern screen reader certainly would, right? Yeah. But if you have an older physical have, device, it'll also read the word angry. It will also it will definitely read the word angry because I have said s or only, so the screen reader is going to see that. Whereas us human beings physically looking at the page, nope. No sign of it. Okay. Uh, again, slightly contrived, but I really wanted to show SR only in action. I don't know if this is everybody's reaction, but the things you can do to help or or entertain uh, those using screen readers really is delightful to me. I like I like the idea of this. It makes me smile. Yes. Yeah. No. It is important, and it's it's fantastic that if you look, if you read through the fine manual that goes with Bootstrap. They give the ARIA stuff equal weighting with the bootstrap stuff. Like, Excellent. They don't say, oh, yeah, and if you want, you can also. They will tell you you should. You nice. should use the ARIA tags. And I, I love that. It's what, I love a lot of things about bootstrap, down to the fact that they have a very pleasant color of purple. But the <laughs> fact that they, they give accessibility first-class status in their documentation is wonderful, and I wish more things did. So that's, anyway, that's, I'm preaching to the choir here because you agree with me 110%. <laughs> and the entire Nocillacast does because th- th- that is one of the things that we all love about this show is that your focus on accessibility. Yeah, you know, part of me is like, well, I was the cool kid thinking about it first, which is stupid, but I, I just love seeing it everywhere, you know? It's, uh, I think it's awesome. Mission accomplished. Everybody talks about it now. And you have changed some developers' approach to these things by taking the time to contact them. Yeah, a great. little bit of hammering. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so challenge time. So either using your solution to the previous challenge or mine, either way, whichever, which, using one of the alerted generators we have so far, mine or yours, I would like you to make the following seven changes. Well, six of them and a seventh one for bonus credit. <laughs> so the very first one is the straightforward one that you can see coming a mile away. Take the form and make it be a bootstrap form. Oh. So the same information that we asked for before, 
like uh, grabbing which color of alert you want or you know yeah. type of alert you want, but just make it a real form. Okay. Yeah, so give it all the various form dash control and form dash group, and yeah, just collect it together into a nice form. Uh, next thing I want you to do is to convert the text box that says um, where you can put in the text for the alert and make it into a text area. And then change the label so that it says alert body instead of just alert text. Okay. Then I'd like you to add a text box and to give it a matching label. And that should be above the text area we've just created. And it should have the title alert title. And then I'd like you to update the JavaScript so that when you click the button to make an alert, the alerts have a title and a body. And then they take the title from the text box and the body from the text area. Ooh. So a minor change, really. But anyway, a little bit more stretching your JavaScript legs. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you have that done, I'd like you to um, add a labeled checkbox. So in other words, a checkbox with some text next to it. Uh, And if the user checks the checkbox, basically the checkbox is there to control whether or not the alert will have a close button. So if the user ticks the box, the alert should get the little close button. And if the user doesn't tick the box, the alert should not get the close button. And the obvious next part to that is make the JavaScript obey the form. (laughs) I'm going to have to start on this soon. Well, they're all independent little pieces, right? So you can right, chip away at them one by one. Each one of those is about four to six hours for me, Bart. <laughs> well, point one, I'm hoping, will be a bit less. <laughs> right, okay. So, and also, points two, three, four, and five are extremely similar to each other. So when you've cracked the code, keep going because... Okay. You know, they're, they're effectively roll. the same with minor differences. Uh, so we then have our checkbox. Uh and then the next thing is to add a series of radio buttons to allow the user to choose between an arbitrary number of icons of your choosing that will be prefixed in front of the title. And I really don't care how you make the icons, whether they be some GIFs you find on the internet, some GIFs you make yourself using a cool tool like that Vector one that we both love, whose name eludes me right now the second and it's so annoying because it's just out <laughs> on the iPad. Affinity Designer. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Or whether you use a Glyphicon or whether you use our good friend the emoji. I don't really care what where the icon comes from. And I also don't care what they are, right? They can be daft and silly things like rubber duckies. I don't care. Have a <laughs> set of radio buttons that has a number of them. And whichever one the user chooses, that gets put in front of the title in the alert. Okay. So again, you update the JavaScript to make the the, the alert obey the, the, the form. Then I would like you to update the JavaScript so that when you create an alert, the form gets reset. So we haven't looked um, at the reset thing in a while. You'll find that if you go back through our show notes, we have reset. We have had reset buttons on forms before. So okay. I'll be looking at uh, Dorothy's PBS index, of course. That, yes, that is a perfect use for Dorothy's PBS index, which is at the top of every uh, of Bart's uh, entire PBS series. So you can find it there if you forgot where it was. Bartb.ie forward slash PBS. Perfect. Uh, so point six is already a half RTFM, so it's almost half extra credit. It's the difference between a B and an A. But for <laughs> extra credit, then, is some ju- tr- some true and genuine RTFMing. I would like you, if you want the bonus credit, to go to the Bootstrap documentation for something called a button group, hmm. which is a Bootstrap thing where you turn many buttons into one pretty little thing. And 
if you find that, well, the link is there for the documentation, so you will find it. If you can understand the documentation, I'd like you to use it to take our two buttons and make them into one button group that stretches the full length of the form. So like in our example, we have a... So in our example, our submit button is a nice stretched out full width submit button, which is the bootstrap way. Um, what submit button? In our in our example form, we've been working on the, the send feedback button. Oh, I'm sorry. I was back on the on the alerts. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. the alerts don't yet have a bootstrappy yeah. button, right? Okay. So there's two buttons in our form. In our alert generator, there's one to kill all the alerts and there's one to make new alerts. So there's two buttons. So the bootstrap way of dealing with multiple buttons, which are sort of, which should be displayed together is to make what it calls a button group, which is sort of like a lozenge with two halves. And if you click on one half, it's one button. If you click on the other half, it's another button. It looks really pretty. So that's, that is what a button group is. And instead of me telling you how they work, I'd like you to have a go at reading the manual and see if you can figure it out. You know what I like about that one? It looks like I could probably do step seven without doing one through six. So if I get stuck for a while, I might go do that to make myself feel like I had accomplished something. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yes, that is definitely true. And step six can be done in isolation as well. Uh, But, and the others, not so much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that is... is, We're good. Um. I was so afraid of this topic. I'm really relieved to have gotten through the first one. So (laughs) we have absolutely scraped at the tip of the iceberg here. So we have learned how to make one particular type of form. And it happens to be the default. This is how Bootstrap does. If you don't tell Bootstrap anymore, this is how Bootstrap does forms. Everything is full width. Label on top of something clickable and maybe some help text. Then you have another little chunk, label, something clickable, maybe some help text. And you stack those vertically on top of each other. And that is a that is the default that Bootstrap does with forms. But Bootstrap doesn't limit you to that. You can use the full power of Bootstrap's grid to lay out the most intricate forms with sections and subsections and sub-subsections and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, a web app has a much more complicated UI than this kind of simple form. And Bootstrap can do all of that. Bootstrap can also do very subtle, teeny tiny little inline forms. Maybe you just want a little strip, like a search box with a search button next to it. That would be a sensible thing to want to do. So Bootstrap can do those kind of little things. Bootstrap can do what it calls a toolbar which is basically a collection of menus and buttons and whatnot that you would want in some sort of web app. And then Bootstrap can do like navigation bars, which is sort of kind of like forms. And then it has the whole concept of like things that don't even exist in native XML or native HTML, like really cool uh, fancy pants dropdowns and things. So there is so much more for us to do here. It's not even funny, but at least we've made a start and we get to look forward to doing all the other cool and powerful stuff building on our knowledge from today. I can't wait. That's going to be great. But I have a I have a palate cleanser. Oh, good. So we don't normally do palate cleansers in programming by stealth, but Bart does them often in security bits because we need to uh, be able to cleanse yeah. our palates after what so he talks about. Strangely enough, the security news is not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> exactly. Well, I stumbled across a woman named Samantha Ming who posts on Medium, and uh, I can uh, basically it's it's medium.com slash uh, Samantha Ming, but I can put a link in, at least it'll be in the show notes that I do. 
um, that, that point to this. Yeah, over on podfeet.com. But she's been spitting out little tiny fun HTML and CSS stuff that I really, really like on, uh, that she's been doing it on Twitter is how I found her. But then I found her uh, medium thing. So, for example, one of them was how to change the cursor color in CSS. So, it, you know, the little blinking line is called the caret, C-A-R-E-T. And it turns out if you uh, set caret dash color to deep pink, for example, the blinking cursor is pink. It has no value whatsoever, but I think it's hilarious. I really like that. Strangely enough, I decided not to spend time on that in our CSS <laughs> exploration. Um, I'm I'm reminded of a quote, and I wish I remember who said it, but it's a good thing that web designers don't do cockpits. Because <laughs> we'd make it all messy and nasty. Yeah, because you know that thing that's like brown and blue? <laughs> tell you which way is up. A web yeah. designer would make it bright pink and purple. <laughs> And then we do a barrel roll and crash. Right, right. Well, another fun one she had, and this actually spurred some fun conversation with with Bart and me, was uh, that you can make any HTML edit element editable. So, mm-hmm. like, let's say you've got a paragraph tag, you've got some words in your paragraph. If you just write P space content editable, somebody on that web page can select it and change it. Now, it doesn't really change it. It just changes it for them. And uh, but there might be a time that you want to do that. I'm not quite sure what that's for, but I thought that ah. was really fun. And I told what? Bart, Bart said, well, I didn't uh, I didn't ever talk about that because it's not a part of HTML. But it turns out it is part of HTML5. Yes, it wasn't part of HTML4, but it is part of HTML5. And there's many places you'd use it. So when you use WordPress, you have two choices of how to write your blog posts. You can use the default. What you see is what you get editor. Or you can use the nerd version which is basically a plain empty text box sorry text area mm-hmm. where you type in html code or right. markdown code and that gets stored in the database and whatnot how how do you think the WYSIWYG editor works is it all p content editable yep 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 and that is what p content editable is for it is for web oh. 2.0 interfaces where people can write html interesting interesting well cool so. anyway i recommend at Samantha Ming on Medium or on Twitter, and she's uh, she's super fun. Yeah, I think uh, she might be a good uh, a good uh, somebody to talk to on um, chit chat. Oh, that would, I I I, w- I would listen. Yeah, she t- does talks and stuff. She had, one of her posts was how I got my first developer job without a CSS degree. Oh, that actually that's a really that's a really good thing to have. Yeah, I I I, I vote for this motion. I don't have a vote, but I'm going <laughs> to exercise my non-existent vote and say that I I would love to hear that. All right, well, I'll see if I can get her on the show. And this was really fun. I uh, I hope I will remember to show up on time next time. Uh, but we'll talk to you soon. Indeed. Well, whenever that is, and until then, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do. I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.